Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. should withdraw that, and if you don't, we will have to do it on the floor of the Senate. We're going to fight for those Australians who haven't got the time to go around and get on Twitter and wear t-shirts. The kids who are sick cannot do the hip-hop anymore. I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. G'day and welcome to The Curb. My name's Andrew Pearce and this is the podcast that's all about culture, unity, reviews and banter. This podcast is proudly recorded in the lands of the Wajak people of Perth region and a pay respects to the elders both past, present and emerging. On this particular episode, I talked to three different people in two different interviews. Uh, I talked to Jeremy Dillon and Jamie Lewis, who are the filmmakers behind the documentary Tommy Emmanuel, The Endless Road, which is screening on July 26th at 8.45pm at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. Head over to the website mdff.org.au to purchase tickets. That will be the first interview on this particular episode. And then the second interview will be Tommy Emmanuel himself calling all the way from the other side of the world. We had a chat about his music and what it means to have a documentary made about him. It's really exciting to be able to talk to somebody who I grew up listening to and paying attention to throughout the years. And, and not only that, but to talk to two filmmakers who are dedicated in telling his story throughout the documentary. I found this documentary really, really interesting and engaging and a beautiful portrait of one of Australia's great musicians. Let's have a listen to the trailer and we'll be back with the first interview and then there'll be another trailer and we'll be back with the second interview. He's just so good. He makes you want to burn your guitar. When I watched Tommy Emmanuel, I realized that I had been coasting for many, many years. Yeah, because... Uh, we're still in the process of waiting to hear back from other festivals and we actually haven't shown it outside of, like, colleagues, people who worked on the film, obviously Tommy and some family. Like, we haven't actually shown the film to a wider audience yet. So that's both exciting and completely terrifying to be kind of on the precipice of of, of what that experience is going to be like this year. But, um yeah, as a and also to have like a first feature out, um, and telling it about us, you know, telling a story about someone who's so well known and beloved by not only audiences in Australia but like also like this, as you saw in the film, like a, there's a larger appreciation um, fan club for Tommy now. Oh yeah, it's um, huge. <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's it's a bit intimidating and um, yeah, but I um, mean it's exciting as well. Yeah. It's um. It's a, it's been a huge privilege, well, that's good. Um, and an incredible opportunity. So, yeah. and um, for you one as well, that kind of oh, sorry. <clears throat> <yeah>. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, like one that kind of when we started this, 
um, I didn't kind of, I, 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 I knew he was a big deal and I knew we were kind of taking on a massive uh, undertaking and doing a feature. I didn't quite appreciate just how much work was going to be involved and how long we were going to be doing this. So, um, yeah, it was, it's, it's been an extraordinary experience. I can imagine, yeah. And, and for you, Jeremy, as well, um, certainly, you know, I've, I've been aware of your work in the sense because of uh, the Jim Lauderdale film, which uh, is unique in itself, but this is a, a world of difference from that. So what's it like going from that particular uh, film to a documentary? Well, it's going to be interesting that first time, like the first screening of the Jim Lauderdale documentary, I was reworking the cut literally up to the night before the premiere screening. Um, whereas this time around, we've been locked on the edit for a while now, and it'll be many months by the time, uh, you know, by the time we're watching it at the at the Melbourne Documentary Festival, it'll have been many months since the film has been done and complete. And I'm really looking forward to seeing it through the eyes of the audience. And that first screening is always, it's a little bit nerve wracking because you, you wonder, you know, it's, it's the, it's the proof of all the judgment calls you made along the way and whether they pay off. Cause you can really feel an audience and whether they're engaged or not. And whether it's not just whether they laugh at the funny bits, but like, are they on, are they kind of inching forward on their seats when it's tense or are they a bit restless if the if you haven't got the pacing quite right, so I'm really looking forward to, you know, if people cry during the film when we have the screenings, I think like we've done our job properly. That's probably like the biggest um, bullseye to hit for me. So that's kind of what I'm looking most forward to say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, as somebody like I grew up listening to Tommy Emmanuel, and and uh, certainly being an Australian, you, you're aware of him through uh, as you've got the footage of Hey Hey it's Saturday uh, in there and. I was aware of him through that and then uh, grew to enjoy him his music a lot more. So it was certainly a, a great joy to watch and, a, you know, get a, a look into his life and also the impact that he's had on a lot of people. So uh, for, a, I guess, for an immediate um, response uh, from a, a viewer who's not attached to the film, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. So, uh, you know, a round of applause for you guys there. It's, it's a solid film. It's very enjoyable. Oh, thank thank you. you. Can we use your quote on the poster? Yeah, of course you can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I thought it was really I thought it was really fantastic, and I think the key thing is as well is that you've got a really energe- energetic and uh, engaging uh, person in in your subject there. So I wonder how important that is for for you both as filmmakers to have somebody who, yes, you can see that their talent is is raw and strong, um, but how important is it for them to be an interesting, engaging person as well when you're making a film about them? Well, well I think... Oh, yeah, you go, Jeremy. <laughs> I was going to say, like, well, I mean, when, we, when you spend as long as we did on the road and... and delving into his life as we did uh, you kind of he has to be an interesting and and you know likable personality um otherwise that would have been a really long shoot i feel it was already pretty long but um that would have made it harder if we didn't uh, get along with him and really um enjoy his company and his shows yeah. how, how long was the shoot as well um we shot off and on uh, for most of 2016, right, all right. around the world and 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 all around the US, um, and yeah, and we we've sat through his show um, 
a fair few times now. A kind of <laughs> <laughs> so you you've you've become really familiar with his music in that regards. So you know him inside out in more ways than one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. thankfully, he's someone who plays a a more or less completely different show every night. Yeah, he had he doesn't have a set list. The advantage of him being a solo performer who's by himself on stage is that he can sort of just feed off the energy of the crowd and change it up every night. So it was a completely unique experience night tonight. It's really interesting to see how he tailored the show to different audiences and how, you know, if there was an audience that wasn't quite with him from the start where he'd just pull out, like, the big guns really early and win them over. Because I think one of the essential things about Tommy, and I think it probably comes through in the film, is that he has this intense need to entertain and for people in his presence to have a good time. And you notice that, sort of going back to the question you were asking, it's not just about him on stage, it's about when you're with him on an interpersonal level, um, which is great in a lot of ways. It's a lovely attribute as a human being, and it's great because he's so charismatic and engaging. And then there's another element of when we're making the film, we had to sort of dig past that and there mm. were some stuff that he had to talk about where it wasn't about him entertaining us. It was just about him accessing this deep part inside himself and, and being sort of raw and honest about things. Yeah. yeah and, and, and sorry. And, and touching on just to build on that and touching on things that he probably hadn't spoken about. I, well, a lot of things he hadn't spoken about before, um, and then I think there were a lot of things that he hadn't really thought about himself for a while until we touched on them. So that was that was kind of interesting to be um, to witness. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, not to. I don't know if this is considered a spoiler or not because I. It felt to me like it was certainly um, information that was new. I wasn't aware of of his uh, the drug use and stuff like that, but. All that, the discussion around that was very eye-opening, certainly as somebody who's, who's engaged with his music in a long, lot of ways. And, and I've seen him live a fair few times as well. So it's like, now I'm looking back thinking, well, was he on drugs at that point? Like, it was a great show. And, you know, there's that kind of discussion. So it's, how do you tease those kinds of things out uh, from a subject in a documentary? How do you get that kind of honesty out of them? It's got to be hard, I imagine. Well, the first conversation I had with Tommy after the initial approach to ask me to make the film, I went to, this is uh, about September uh, 2015, I went to stay with Tommy for a few days in Nashville to sort of talk through what he saw the project as being. And the first thing I asked him was, like, what kind of film do you think you... Uh, what kind of story do you think we're telling? And are you willing to talk about everything? Like I said, I'm not saying that every single part of your life needs to be in the finished film, but I, I need to know that you're going to be okay with me asking about anything and that nothing's going to be off limits. And he explicitly said that, no, he wanted to... He was at a point in his life, I think partly just because he, he'd had um, recently had Rachel, his youngest daughter... And also, I think, sort of being on the other side of a lot of that um, substance abuse stuff in his life gave him a perspective on it where he was open to talking about it really in depth for the first time. And, mm. you know, it, even with all that said, like you, you kind of have to find your way into this stuff. You can't just open the first interview 
with a direct question about it. You sort of have to lay the foundations and, you know, come at it from different angles and you kind of, you know, work your way into the deepest parts of it because it's a very personal and a very painful in a lot of ways to talk about. He's talking about um, when he's been at his lowest ebb, when he's let the people in his life down, when he's been a version of himself that he's often not proud of and sort of how he managed to find his way back from that. So it's a pretty intense subject to get into with somebody. Mm. Yeah, in, in the same regard as well, you, you also talk to some of his ex-wives and his partners a- along the way. How were they when you approached them to say, hey, you know, we'd like to do a documentary about Tommy Emmanuel. Would you be, would you like to be part of it? Like that's got to be even harder as well because I imagine that maybe they don't want to reopen those kinds of wounds in some regards. Um, so how, how'd you get in contact with them and, and what was the immediate response for that? Well, that was interesting. I mean, I think there's a balance of, you know, there, I mean, he's on good terms with everybody who's in his life at this point and, you know, he's in open communication with everybody. Um, you know, obviously he has two daughters with Yana, his um, second ex-wife, and he and Meredith, his first ex-wife, are, are really good friends. And um, I think partly, you know, they they don't want their perspectives to not be unrepresented in the film, and neither did we. I think to get a full picture of the man, you need to hear from the people who are closest to him, even if a lot of the stuff you're um, going to dredge up isn't necessarily the happiest times. I mean, obviously, there's a reason why they are ex-wives at this point. Um, yeah. But the distance from it all, I think, allows a really good perspective to look back on. And um, I think you see in the film that, um, you know, there's a, there has to be an allowance for the different perspectives on, you know, what Tommy was struggling with at different times. And then, you know, what, to whatever degree from um, Yana, for example, there is, there is still some, some hurt um, about that from her point of view. And I think, you know, both sides of that are very understandable. Um, Meredith is actually um, in the film industry herself. She's a uh, publicist for um, some really impressive cinematographers. So I think she understood, what, like, from a filmmaking point of view, why it was important to have her um, perspective included in the film. Um, we That was one of the later interviews we shot. And Yana, we actually went to... England, Jamie and I went to um, England where she um, lives and where uh, Tommy's daughters live to interview her about sort of halfway through the shoot. Yeah, well, certainly their voices are are valuable in being there as well uh, and adding to his story. Um, Obviously, I can't touch on, uh, you know, the... I can't not touch on the, the major names that you've got in here as well talking about him, you know, Eric Idle, Steve Vai and... A whole bunch of different other great musicians as well. Um, how do you manage to to kind of wrangle all of that? There are a lot of big names, and I imagine trying to get the time for them has got to be difficult. Uh, yeah. it, it took a little bit of uh, wrangling. Um, we still have a lockdown, Keith Urban. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that that would be really nice to see. Like, but I imagine he he would be really hard to get in touch with and and organise. Yeah, it, it what well, look it did take a bit of wrangling. The good thing was is that we were based in and in and around the United States for most of 2016. 
um, and we kind of broke it up into like three shooting blocks, and it was just Jeremy and I, um, and occasionally we would have like another camera operator with us, but it, usually it was just the two of us. So that did give us a bit more flexibility when it came to organizing um, these sit downs um, with the like the the kind of more famous personalities. Um, a lot of them we a lot of them already had contact with Tommy so we were able to kind of use Tommy's team to kind of reach out and approach them um, and then some of them we just had to do a bit of research but I mean all of them were when we told them what we were doing and 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 the, the film and everything all of them were really super enthusi- enthusiastic and wanting to be a part of it and wanting to um, and, and uh, you know like people like Joe Satriani were like super chuffed that we'd um, gone to the trouble of contacting him, and he came with notes and everything. We flew out to um, San Francisco and drove like an hour to meet with him in a studio, um, and he came came with all his notes to just kind of t- tell us about what his experience and friendship with Tommy has been like over the years, and it was fascinating. It's a it's a shame, you know, the movie couldn't be longer because there's some there was some amazing stuff from from all of those guys and they you know and they they love him as you can see in the film they're all in awe of his ability oh yeah um yeah and i think i think you know from my perspective at least i learned about uh, joe satriani through listening to tommy emmanuel so it's there is that kind of um symbiotic nature of of all these different musicians they all connect to one another in a, in a lot of ways and and I get that that real vibe from it that you know the the handing down of uh, of the culture and the respect of different musicians in the film itself, which is really great to see because it's it's a celebration not only of of Tommy Emmanuel but it's a celebration of music as a whole. So uh, yeah. I applaud you guys for that as well. It's it's really impressive in that regard. Um, but I can imagine it would be difficult to to organize all of this footage into one. So how did you go about editing it into a you know, precise, uh, under 90 minute film. How did you manage that, that challenge? <laughs> many, many well, versions. <laughs> there was, and there was a lot of time. I mean, for the majority of the time we were editing it, it was not under 90 minutes. Like I think yeah. the first version of the film was close to four hours or something like that. Um, I mean, the problem, I mean, the great benefit, but also the great problem with making documentaries like this is that, you know, there's no script, we had a story outline that I wrote before we started shooting, but it's not like you go, okay, well, we've put all the lines that were in the script in, so now the the film's done. You can make so many different artistic and story decisions while you're in post-production, and a lot of that is about levels of detail, how much the balance between, you know, praise and conflict and, you know, how how many talking heads do you want in this bit and how long do you want this performance footage to be? So... It was a lot of getting the overall shape of it right and then basically refining it down, refining it down, refining it down. Um, And then there's the phrase that I got taught at film school called killing your babies, which is basically there's this really great moment in the film that you love or was really hard. Mm -hmm. Like I think there was a few things where Jamie and I held on to them um, in the edit for a while because that was so difficult to get. Like it was, we remembered the like drive up to, you know, there was this one interview. We got up early in the morning and it was snowing in New York and we then we got the subway across town and we drove up into the um, up like out, outskirts of New York and Jamie was really sick and was barely hanging on and 
we got, we went up and we interviewed this guy in this bar and we, it was really hard to light and then and that's just not in the film at all. Um, <laughs> wow! <laughs> because it it doesn't need to be, and no one watching the film is going to know that it was really hard for us to shoot. So you just have to make you have to be fairly brutal with yourself because you really just got to think about what does the audience need here to understand the story clearly and to feel the emotions that we want them to feel when we want them to feel it and everything else just kind of needs to, you know, fall off by the wayside. Yeah. Yeah. And, and remembering, uh, I think there were times where, like Jeremy said, that, you know, some of the scenes that we had shot, you know, like it had taken such a long time to either like organize to shoot that or, you know, we found out, you know, elements of, about his life that, we, like, for us, were, like, like along the way, we were like, that's huge. Oh, my God, we have to include that. And then you kind of watch it back months later and you're like, I think this is only important to us because we're now just so close to it. Mm, yeah. And so a, a lot of time, a fair few times, we had to kind of take a step back and go, like, okay, who is our audience for this? Who is watching this? What do we want them to feel? Because... What we think might be a really important story point, that's because we've spent, like, the better part of a year with him. And so for us, that's an important part of his story. But it might, you know, in, in, the, the, in an 80-minute film, um, do we really have, you know, is, do we really have five minutes to devote to trying to, like, set this story up, resolve it, and, you know, and, and will it satisfy the audience ultimately? So yeah, yeah, we did get bit, we got really ruthless towards the end of it, um, but we also had some really great people around us giving um, solid feedback, which was super super helpful. Yeah. yeah, the last the last act of the film, what I guess is now the last twenty minutes, was probably forty five minutes or so for a long time, and I think partly for us that was about those were the people we had the most access to and were willing to talk about stuff in the most detail. So we got really granular with a bunch of stuff. And then I remember there was, a, there was a round of notes we got where we showed it to some other filmmakers we were friends with, and they all came back and said, like, this, this has got, like, five endings. This is like the last Lord of the Rings movie. <laughs> and so we ended up really, like, getting ruthless and compressing that way down into what it is now. Well, it's it's an impressive film. I I really enjoyed it, and uh, you know, obviously, I I am slightly biased. I enjoy Tommy Emmanuel, but even then, I can see that uh, anybody who doesn't isn't familiar with his work will certainly enjoy this film a lot as well, uh, because it, you know you you show his history really well and and tell his story in a in a great open manner. So I appreciate that. Um, before, obviously, I've taken up a heap of your time, and I really appreciate it. I'm sure I could talk to you all day long about uh, how great the film is and, and all this kind of stuff and, and all these stories. But um, obviously, this is landing at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. I'm curious, and, and this interview will come out just before then as well. I'm curious if there's any uh, notes or, or points about this particular film that you want people to know before they head into watching it, uh, something that they can have in mind before going to watch it. Well, you have to have seen this film before you see um, any of the upcoming Marvel movies. So if you're planning on seeing any of those, you have to have seen Tommy Emmanuel, The Endless Road first. That's fair. What about you, Jamie? Is there anything that you want people to know before heading into this film? <laughs> um, no, it's, it's, I guess it's just... 
for me, I think it it's one of those films. I've gone to plenty of film festivals and wandered into films where I haven't known anything about, you know, other than like the, the, the two line synopsis on the program. And I've, you know, and I've booked to go and see the film just based off of that. I would say for anyone who's going in to see the film who doesn't know who Tommy is, um, you know, like just sit back and enjoy and like, you know, we kind of hope it's like a sugar man experience and that, you know, people come out of it going, I did, I just, I don't know why I didn't know that this guy was around, has been around for so long and I've never heard of him, mm. you know? Well, I think they'll get that feeling out of it. Definitely. Um, Look, Jeremy and Jamie, I really appreciate your time and, and I will encourage everybody to head along to go to see this film when it lands in Melbourne Documentary Film Festival and every other film festival that you guys land along the way as well because I'm sure that you're going to start racking them up as, as the, the film uh, rolls on to release and all this kind of stuff. So congratulations in that regard. Imagine Chet Atkins with the testosterone of Eddie Van Halen. He just is part of his instrument. You can see him almost dancing with his guitar. There's top guitarists in the world, and then there's Tommy. When the guitar was invented, it was made for this person to play. Hello, how are you going? Hey, Andrew. G'day, Tommy. Thanks for your time. Where are you? I- I'm based in Perth. <laughs> Where are you currently oh, at the moment? I'm in the Netherlands. I'm north of, of Amsterdam uh, at a city called Groningen. Right. Wow. Okay, that's that's all the well, way on the other side of the world. <laughs> exactly. We're, we're as far apart as you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so are you there for a tour or just a holiday at the moment? Yep. Oh, no. No, I when do I have time for holidays? Well, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> You're go, go, go. You're always always touring, always uh, busy. It's fantastic to see. Um, I should start by saying as well, I've been a huge fan of yours since I was a kid, and uh, I think the first time I ever became aware of your music was through Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. So uh, watching this documentary was a... Um, fantastic kind of uh, a dive into who you are as a person and it coloured in a whole bunch of history for me. So uh, thank you for for making my childhood really (laughs) great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, shows like Hey Hey uh, no longer exist, but it was definitely a part of Australian culture and definitely an important part of the music uh, business in in this country too, you know. Yeah, how important was it for you um, to to have that show as well? Because it felt like a bit of a uh, obviously you were active for a while, and then it felt like a stepping stone into a whole new generation. Yeah, it was it was the show to be on. I mean, there was the midday show, there was the Sunday show. Uh, you know, and all. And lucky for me, uh, I had the support of a lot of the um, producers and people from Channel Nine and Channel Ten and Channel Seven. And um, and then every now and again, I'd do, you know, like an ABC series or something. And so it was important to me 
um, to be a part of <coughs> the, the television world in Australia because everyone watched TV. Yeah, and and and, and I think that still, that still goes on. But um, you know, it our world has changed so much since then. Yeah. Well, with, with this documentary, I found what was really interesting was seeing the um, the amount of people who have discovered you through YouTube. Um, and I'm curious how, obviously, the, the documentary touches on that, but um, how has that affected you as a, a touring musician, you know, going around to different uh, parts of the world? Um, what kind of uh, fan base well, has opened it, up due to that? Well, it's, it's opened up everything because... Places like uh, Russia and China uh, and Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Germany, Italy, Spain, all those places opened up because of the internet. And all of a sudden, I'm selling out pretty big halls uh, and I've never been there before. And I'm like, how the hell is this possible? And, and uh, that's when I found out about YouTube and and you know the millions of views on my my songs, and 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 I didn't put those things up. I don't know who put them up, but some, somebody did, and um, so it was a it was a great door opener for me. You know. Yeah, I can imagine. It's um, it's nice to see this continued success in different ways for you because obviously. Uh, you know, you're a talented guy. Mm. There's, there's no doubt about that. So it's great to see that different generations are discovering your music in uh, so many different ways. It's fantastic to see. No, thanks. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, um, wh wh whatever it takes, you know, I, I don't have the luxury of a hit record or a song in a movie or any of that kind of thing. I don't have that kind of uh, thing going on. So, you know, I started in Europe by playing shows around England and then flying over to Germany and playing in small places and building a crowd. That's really how I started. And, and you know, when you keep coming back and keep getting better and, and, and you know, uh, you, you can grow an audience. Well, definitely, yeah. And I imagine from this documentary as well that there's going to be an even uh, even more people discovering your work too if they're not being familiar with you. Um, I wonder for you what it was like being approached to do a documentary on your life and, and the music around you as well. Well, um, uh, it had been suggested to me several times and I'd said no before. Uh, because I didn't feel like I'd achieved enough yet, you know. And um, but um, uh, Rob Potts' son Jeremy uh, came on the road with me and and filmed a bit, and then went away and put it together as like a five-minute piece. And and I liked his work, and uh, and I liked him too. And so we kind of started from there. Well, it's really interesting. Like, it's, uh, you know, there's kind of no stone left unturned. And I, I wonder for you, that's got to be, uh, it's got to yeah. be difficult to be so open and personal uh, with, you know, trusting somebody else to your life story in a lot of ways. How difficult was that to, to you know, yeah. do that and allow them to, to be part of it? 
Well, they wanted they wanted me to tell the story, and uh, and you know, there's still a lot there's still a lot that we haven't really shown or that we haven't talked about. Um, but you know, it's kind of uh, uh, I'm not afraid to talk about anything, and I never have been. Um, so. You know, like the 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 hard the hard parts of life, you you you've got to say it like it is, and because when when you do, you know that there are other people out there who've been through the same thing who who say, well, if he can talk about it, then I can, you know, and and so, you know, that's how I look at it. I don't see any part of my life as something that I uh, either am. Uh, ashamed of or that I'm uh, uh, not willing to talk about this. Yeah. There's, there's so many areas of, of my life that were unusual, you know. Everything about it was, was different because when we were kids, we played music and that's how we made a living. So in that way as well, like I, what I found really inspirational was, as, as you're saying, it's you know, you you didn't have a traditional start to to music. You just started playing music with your your family, and and it kind of flowed on from there. Yeah. Um, have you had anybody who's who mm -hmm. heard that story about your your life and and taken that as an inspiration and talked to you about it as well? Oh, a, a lot of people, and and actually most people, even even today, uh, people are amazed that I haven't, you know, been to a music college and that I haven't had any real training, that uh, I, I don't read music. I, I totally rely on my my instincts and my, my ear. And and I think that people see that as something that's unusual. And But what, what they don't know is that the world is full of people who are like that. Um, I know so many musicians who grew up the same way. They just played because they, they loved playing and um, were around it all the time, you know. That's why I think it's important that if, if you're, uh, you know, in a community and you've got a band and, and you play music, wherever you're playing, you should always have young people around so they can... You know, through uh, um, the see the joy that playing music brings, and they should feel free to to join in. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot because it, uh, you know, the, there is still that feeling sometimes that there is a bit of an exclusionary feel, uh, not just with music but with different fields and stuff like that. That if you if you didn't go to school or you didn't go to training or something like that, then you don't have yeah. a certificate to say that you're good, but you don't need that often, and and you're proof that yeah. you know, going to school, fine, but you know you can learn yeah. for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I I have I have two doctorates in, in as a doctor of music now, but you know I didn't go to college and earn them. They were just you know uh, something nice that that a college did for me. Um, one in America, one in Australia, but I I don't have them up on the wall, you know. They're in my lockup, like everything else. All my other awards, and I don't have 
stuff plastered all over the walls. I don't care about that stuff. Well, I was going to say, I mean, it, it surely is nice to have that validation from your peers, though, to say, you know, hey, you are very good at what you do. Like, that's got well, to be great. Well, I, I think things like um, I won the Country Music Award for Instrumental of the Year this year in Australia, and that meant more to me than having a Grammy nomination, you know, because it's, it's, it's home, it's... It's my peers back home, you know. Yeah. What's the, what's the difference of um, touring internationally and touring in Australia? What's, what's the vibe that you get from the crowds here versus there? Well, the difference is it's a home crowd and they, they know me, they know my history. So they treat me like I'm just, you know, someone they know well. And that's a, that's a lovely feeling. It's like we're all family, you know. And um, like when I play in places like Russia and China, everything has to be organized in a way that all the real crazy fans, you know, when I get to meet them, they do yell and scream and burst into tears. And, you know, uh, they, go, they go completely wild which is unusual for a guy like me. And so, you know, uh, I remember the first time I played in St. Petersburg in, in Russia, when, when my, my bus pulled up for me to get out and go into the venue, you, you would have thought it was the Beatles or something. There were people screaming and they ran up to the bus and, and were, had cameras ready and, and uh, you know, it was just, it was like hysteria. And, and, and my tour manager said, wow, what the hell is this, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had to make a break for it after the show. And, and you just don't expect that, you know? You don't get that in many places. Yeah. So it was pretty wild. Yeah, I can imagine that would be, that would be crazy, like going to a place like Russia and, and having that experience. Um, mm. what's, what's been the best yeah. uh, gig That's that you've ever done? Well? Uh, sorry, you go. Well, there are certain... I was going to say, up to that point, they only saw me on the internet, you know? So they assumed that I was Elvis, you know? And so, uh, you know, when I'm just this, you know, calm, normal guy, uh, it's a revelation to them, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's exciting, I, I though. One time. Yeah. Well, I, I, was playing the, I was playing the North Wollongong Hotel, out south of Sydney and um, played this show with, with my band and the, the everybody was packed with kids and they all had a great time and I was loading my amps and guitars and stuff into the back of my Holden panel van and these two young guys come up to me and said where's your Ferrari mate <laughs> and I said why would I want a Ferrari you, you can't fit guitars and amplifiers into a Ferrari yeah, yeah, but you know, you're 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 a rock star, and I said, no, I'm not. I'm a guitar player who came down to work. Now I'm going home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's great. That's that's really wonderful. Um, I've taken up a heap of your time, and I really appreciate it as well because it's you know it's a, a bit of a buzz no, for you're, me being you're able to, very to 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 talk to you about your your work and stuff like that is really just fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I thank you. Yeah. I no. Thank you. That. 
I, I'm I'm curious as well how important for you, um, specifically with this documentary, it's, it doesn't just touch on, on your life, but it touches on the history of, of music and, and the, the type of guitar playing that you play as well. How important was it for you to include that kind of stuff in the documentary and talk about that that history there as well? Well, I don't think you can separate me and my life from the, the musical heritage that I have. And I think I ended up playing the way I play because of the influence of uh, American and English music, um, you know. Um, when I heard Chet Atkins on the radio, I mean, it totally galvanized me and set me on a course that I'm still on. And just to get to know him and to work with him was a surreal experience. And sometimes when I hear a, a record of me and Chet playing together, a little part of me says, did that really happen? You know, it was like surreal. So, you know, you can't underestimate the importance of, of that kind of thing. And um, I think I ended up playing and writing the way I do because of that and because of my desire to try and get good at this and, and, and to write songs that, that people could sing along to or that, they, they would, that, that would mean something to them and tell them a story. That's, that's what was important to me. Yeah, well, I I really appreciate it in a lot of ways. It's um, you know, as as I'm saying, I grew up listening to you and discovered a whole bunch of different musicians uh, because of your music as well. So, you know, I don't think that I would have been aware of people like Joe Satriani uh, if I wasn't aware of you as a musician. So, um, you know, thank you very much yeah. for that. It's really great, uh, and I appreciate yeah. it a lot because. Uh, certainly me going to the concerts is, you know, listening to the music at home has been great, but then going to the concerts and watching these great artists like yourself and all these other artists as well, it's just, mm -hmm. it's mind blowing. So it's, um, you know, I, I have no idea how you managed yeah. to do it. <laughs> well, I, I didn't have anything else that was, that was important to me. You know, um, I was just, trying to get good at it I was trying to make a living and and I was trying to ignore the negativity uh, from record companies and people like that but you know unless you got a pop song on the radio then you're not going to get any work and it's like oh that, that's bullshit you know um, I'm going to prove you wrong so you know I was when I was writing my own songs and starting to make my own records you know people's People hadn't really dealt with that before. It's like you know, you've got you've got to have some singing, you've got to have a groovy video and all that stuff, you know. And it was like, well, I, I built an audience by hand. Quite literally, yeah. <laughs> it's it's in, it's crazy. Yeah. So, do you still not do like your your shows are, are pretty? Um, you tend to just go out and decide what you're going to play at the time when you head out is that right or do you have set lists or anything like that or you just that's, that's correct no no I, I all I have to decide is what I start with and then I'm off and um, and I totally go with what I want what I want to play in that moment kind of thing you know and I like to I have a pretty wide 
kind of uh, repertoire. So I, I tend to uh, play different stuff every night. Yeah, and I imagine you probably feed off the crowd as well and, and getting an understanding of what they want to hear and feel like hearing too, uh, which would be pretty pretty crazy, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm always, <laughs> always trying... I'm trying to decide, trying to surprise people. Really, yeah, that's what it's about. Because yeah. the element, the element of surprise, is what entertainment is all about. You know, entertainment summed up is surprise me. Well, definitely. Well, look, I, I, I'm sure I could talk for hours about your work and and everything like that. And again, I'm thankful for your time. I really am because. Um, you know, it's fantastic. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, and I'll try and get everybody to push along to go and see this documentary too, because it's a uh, it's fantastic, and uh, the more people seeing it, the more people discovering your Thank work. You. Yeah, and hopefully, uh, your current yeah. tour is going well okay. as well. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you. Cheers. Yeah. Oh, sorry, my dog's uh, deciding to okay. check. <laughs> Cheers, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, mate. Okay. Bye. Bye. So that was Jeremy and Jamie talking about their documentary, Tommy Emmanuel, The Endless Road, as well as Tommy Emmanuel there and my dogs cameoing at the end of that particular interview as they tend to do. Thank you very much, dogs. Hopefully you enjoyed that interview and hopefully you enjoyed the uh, discussion about both Tommy Emmanuel and the work that goes into making this particular documentary happen. And if you're interested, head along July 26, 8.45 p.m. in Melbourne at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. Again, the tickets are available at mdff.org.au and it's well worth heading along to go and catch this film. And thanks again for listening to these shows. I really appreciate you listening. It's always fantastic to, to see people engaging with the content and, and finding out about Australian films. And if you enjoy doing that, then head over to the website, thecurb.com.au, where you can sign up to our newsletter, where we send out a newsletter once a month. And also head over to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash thecurbau and twitter.com forward slash thecurbau to follow up the social media content as well. And if you want to go the extra step, then patreon.com forward slash the curb AU helps the site keep on running. It's just a dollar a month or thereabouts, and uh, yeah, a little bit goes a long way. Anyhow, thank you again for listening to this show. Hopefully you enjoy it and get something out of it. We'll see you on the next episode of The Curb. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Let Safeway help you unleash your glow with your favorite personal care products. Right now with Safeway, get great deals on all your favorite personal care products. Like Head & Shoulders Base Shampoo, Crest 3D Whitening Toothpaste, Listerine Antiseptic Mouthwash, Sensodyne Sensitivity Fresh Toothpaste, Degree Women Antiperspirant Deodorant, or Soft Soap Liquid Hand Soap. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local Safeway store for more deals and specific details.